0: The subject for the evening talk is two ranges or types of feelings. When we perhaps look at ourselves in a general way as human beings living and participating on the earth, we can look at various areas of ourselves, of the totality of our human existence. And sometimes we consider ourselves at the physical level, our, our physical world and its manifestation, its form, shape, age and its impact in the world that we live in. At other times we are more directly concerned with our knowledge, our cerebral activity than the impact that our thought life has, both upon ourselves, on consciousness, and again on the world that we live in, and the way the thoughts manifest through pen, through communication, through language, and so forth. And to another area of equal and immense uh, significance for us are the feelings, which certainly have a pervasive influence, both in our physical life, in our mental and uh, cerebral activity, and in the way that we look upon events and feelings, whether they're distinctly noticeable or whether they're barely noticeable or not at all, certainly in some way and some degree are present and are influential in our relationship to our world. And it's clear to us when we stop and we are still and even just briefly how much thoughts Feelings, bodily life, actions matter to us in the various expressions, heart, mind, speech and body. So looking at ourselves in the uh, fullness of ourselves as a human being, it can be quite useful and appropriate, as I'm sure we have often done in our life, is to highlight a particular area of ourselves. But it's quite important, obviously, to always recognise that in highlighting anything, in this case this evening, feelings, not for a moment should we imagine that the feelings are separate from anything else, that they're all in the general fabric and, and scheme of things. And no language may pinpoint and may describe and refer to. Let, us, let it be for us so that it's not in any way isolating from the totality of things. And that includes not only the totality of ourselves, but the real totality of things. And feelings thus have a part to play in the vastness of it all. But they're not the centre of the stage. They're not the most important thing in life. And sometimes when we exaggerate what we highlight, we can't see the forest for grasping onto a piece of wood with the feeling life and the manifestation the uh, expression of feelings I would like to explore two areas of feelings one which we might call feelings of the world worldly feelings another which we might refer to as spiritual feelings, and the manifestation and the expression of these forms of feelings in our life and ways that we may draw upon them for that which is transcendent. With regard to worldly feelings, we might say that all feelings fall into a a general uh, description of pleasant or uh, unpleasant, or somewhere in that range in between. And the feeling factors frequently are part of the motivation of worldly feelings of what we do. The feeling that we get at the end of what we do matters for us and of course it does permeate through the actions themselves. So when we are looking at ourselves and we look into our day and we say, what feelings have I experienced today? I can't experience my feelings separate from other events, though it seems like it at times. So there's my feelings with my intentions, with my activities, and with my results. Now sometimes it's like our inner life almost generates a substitute world. In other words, I may not be preoccupied or interested at times in What's happening for me in my intentions, actions and results here? So sometimes what I'll do is I'll generate another one. I'll internalize, I'll I'll create one inside of myself which is concerned with how I am, what I was doing, what I will do. In other words, the intentions, interests, actions and results are being generated inwardly. Outside, around me, it's just the same old day, it's Tuesday, it's just like Monday or Sunday or Saturday here or whatever it might be, and nothing's going on, so I'll put it inside. I'll make up one which really matters to me, and I can while away the time sitting and walking in my scenario. Sometimes considerably more entertaining than the than the tedium of sitting cross-legged with one knee screaming. <laughs> so in the internal one which takes place and that gets gets generated there, we might say some of those are what we call worldly feelings. Worldly feelings is such that the the desire there is towards getting what I want and somehow it's related to clearly the things of the world which are attainable, which I can get for myself. So I might be thinking in terms of my job, feeling the sensation of the world, I might be thinking in terms of my uh, uh, relationship, I might be thinking in terms of my home or where I live, or the items in the world which I need. I might be obsessing or thinking about uh, money, or about what happened to me when I was a child with my family, or what might happen to me when I go and live in this place in the future. All this we put, without being judgmental, we put it under the general description of worldly feelings. And these worldly feelings matter a great deal to us, and perhaps, dominate consciousness that when we're ruthlessly honest with ourselves that our life is spent around the preoccupation to varying degrees with the worldly sensation the worldly feeling the the renewal and the continuity of it and the sustaining not just of worldly feelings but one worldly feeling the pleasurable one So life becomes a kind of organization of one's life and mind and action around the continuity as strongly, intensely and uh, frequently as possible of a particular sensation called a pleasurable, worldly feeling. And yet life, in its vastness, in its awesome tenya, says, hopeless task. A completely hopeless endeavour. If a human being imagines that he, she, you, me, can sustain one sensation in continuity and exclude from it the active presence of others. And this In every single time we have an unpleasant worldly feeling, a disappointment, a loss, a sadness, a dissatisfaction, an unrest, a doubt, a pain, a a frustration, an anguish, a fear, an aggression, or whatever it might be, each one of those is surely a very clear reminder to us of the futility, nothing else but the futility of this endless pursuit of a particular prescribed sensation. And yet, and yet, so easily, in these extremes of the pursuit of the pleasurable sensation, the p- pursuit or the avoidance or the denial of the other, so easily that we become imprisoned to it, ensnared, infatuated with, this way of living and being in the world. So sometimes we experience some exhaustion from it. Doubt. What am I doing this for? Why am I living like this? What am I continuing in this way for? And the doubt surfaces. Sometimes it surfaces with a vengeance. And one's whole life, the consciousness, the whole direction of our life, sometimes can be of such magnitude with us, we don't know what we're doing with our life, we don't know where we are going, we don't know what the direction of it is all about, all that we get a sense for is that the what we're actually doing just isn't working very well. So sometimes there's like a, the, the consciousness is suffused, it's immersed in an unpleasant state, in a a real state of real dissatisfaction and sometimes what we notice when that occurs it starts off with a specific I feel dissatisfied with my relationship, with my job with my studies, with my unemployment, with my living place with my life and it begins to like, like a, dropping a, a, a bottle of ink on a clean sheet, it, it, it's, there's a splash, and then one sees rather sickeningly, it begins to spread itself around the sheet. And so everything gets permeated, sparked off by a specific, and it gets generalized. And then we begin to look at the world through these coloured glasses of, oh, it's suffering, it's unpleasant, it's unsatisfactory. My life is a waste, or whatever. So we want to be, you know, looking at our worldly feelings and the certain kind of vulnerability which occurs when we're not getting what we want and we're not succeeding in our tasks. How easily one indication of the unsatisfactoriness in that. Generates and pervades, fungus-like, all over the consciousness. From the specific to the general. In our exploration, in our looking at these, these preoccupations, what we notice, and what I uh, referred to briefly in our uh, in the guided meditation this afternoon, is the question of self that the movement, our activities in life, all too frequently are towards the affirmation, to making concrete self, to giving ourselves a real sense of self-worth. So the pleasant sensation, achievement and accomplishment, and the benefits of that do give oneself a sense of that. I have done this, I have made this, I have created this, and I get derived satisfaction from it. But in my action and in my relationship to these actions of what I am involved in, how easily I think life is just essentially about me. And in some way or other, in the worldly movement there, it's as though I am the prima donna of existence. And what goes on, wherever it is, is somehow going on around me. So the perception that goes on is that we keep relating to me as though me, I, I, is the centre of the stage. Everybody else knows in the whole world that you and I are not the centre of the universe. How come out of five billion people, we don't know? (laughs) So there's this movement going on inside of us with, with the eye, with its wishes and with its needs and with its one wish to be the prima donna and somehow or other we can't see. Life isn't like that. There is no center. So, with the worldly feelings, there's that the movement called pleasantness, the pleasurable, and then there's the movement which is the unpleasant. And it might be that some people will say of themselves, when I look in a very general way and it's always dangerous looking generally when I look in a general way it seems like I've had more pleasurable more pleasant things happen to me in my life and another person may look at their life and they say, well, when I look at my life no, no, it's been pretty miserable and one looks in from that kind of view and then there are others who will say, well when I look at my life I can't really say it's been either that nor the other, it's been kind of humdrum and I'm just kind of going along from one day to the next and there's not much in the way of intensity, of uh, pleasurable satisfaction, occasionally an ice cream Sunday gives my consciousness a tickle but mostly it's pretty ordinary. So this movement takes place And then the movement of the consciousness in relationship to the world, sometimes it's a bit like this, sometimes like that, somewhere in between. How much does it matter? How much does that matter? How much have we, we're so preoccupied and concerned with that range and spectrum of feelings and sensations which emerge that we, that our world, our self, is exclusively and therefore narrowly wrapped around it. You know, even sometimes when we, we look with care and with real interest and like, giving that total attention, sometimes... The difference between the so called pleasantness and the so called unpleasant is not really that big a difference. Not as big as the imagination has been declaring to the rest of humanity and oneself. And sometimes we wonder, therefore, what all the fuss is about. And even sometimes when the unpleasant is, seems like terribly painful, one's had a loss, a shark ones. Lover has left one and found somebody considerably better to live with, or whatever it might be. And there's this feeling of loss and separation there and, and a real feeling of, of, of sadness and uh, pain and hurt. Yet sometimes... In the midst of that, as though it's right down in the deepest level of one's guts, one is feeling that, sometimes one is listening to that and attentive to that. And something in there says, really, <laughs> couldn't care less. <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> <laughs> one has got the kind of drama which is going on there of this loss, but deep down there, runs something inside, deep down, is coming through and you're breathing a sigh of relief when it's over <laughs> you know, so even in the midst of things in the midst of loss in the midst of separation you know the intimations can come through our being deep down that things are not as bad as one imagines them to be nothing is as bad as one imagines it to be Sometimes in the thick of it we see this. So there's that range, that spectrum. And to look honestly, as I said, at ourselves and to see whether that's... Is that our life? Is that all it is? The, the oscillation, the running up and down between different ranges of sensations and and, and, and feelings and to be imprisoned to it. And sometimes we see too that there's what I'm calling a range of spiritual feelings, not totally different insofar that spiritual feelings can be distinctly pleasant, distinctly unpleasant, or somewhere in the spectrum in between. And again, one experiences, you experience it, I experience it, in situations like this and elsewhere. And so the spiritual feelings emerge from the feeling of joy. Someone was saying in one of the small groups today, the the expression of uh, that flow of appreciation and uh, uh, gratitude and connectedness and love for people who are sitting and looking into things and exploring things through the silence. And it elicits out of oneself something very lovely and delightful. And as I said at that times and at other times, don't regard that. That's the spiritual joy and the empathy as some kind of disturbance to meditation or a distraction. Part of it is revealing all of those kind of feelings and allowing those to flow through and to drop all them meditation technique. That's the distraction. So again, sometimes in our response, it emerges that way. Or sometimes, miraculously, there's a quiet moment during the day and one's mind has given up the effort and the struggle of things and one feels a certain peacefulness. Sometimes that peacefulness, it might just be when one hears (laughs) And there's such a, a profound sense of relief <laughs> that even without changing the posture or, or anything, one feels peace. <laughs> and one only wishes one could spend one's life just waiting for this to <laughs> materialize. Perhaps they should have them in the office. <laughs> so, sometimes the peace which comes is like that, like born out of a condition and there's an occurrence which takes place and one feels a sense of peace. not only a peacefulness with, one's, with oneself in which the fighting and the struggle, the efforting is uh, given up, but equally a, a peacefulness with the environment of people. That even when being with people in this world, we can, we can miraculously experience some peace. And in the expressions of the the depths of peace and warmth and affection and love. One of the things which we might say distinguishes that from worldly pursuits is that in that we might say it rather comes to us. When we think sometimes of our worldly interests, so much of it seems to be focused about going for what I want and achieving it and keeping it. And that's what we sometimes describe as the worldly pursuits, the worldly interests. And whereas with matters of the spirit, the spirit matters, that is more what comes to us. We might offer ourselves, we might be willing, as we are here, to place ourselves in a situation which is receptive. As it were, we've done our bit And it's a small bit, but it's a bit which we put into it. But from that comes, let's see what happens. Let's see what unfolds for us. We can't demand of our mind peace or joy or love or reverence or connectedness. So spirituality, when that comes, it generates and it touches us. It brings uh, uh, qualities of feeling, deep feelings in life which we appreciate but what is often is forgotten in all of this that those intimations and those deeper sensibilities of a human being, the very depths and beauty of it, it itself heals a lot of pain that is sometimes forgotten that I say from my uh, uh, years lifetime yeah connection and involvement in spiritual life and in the depths of things, that, s- that the intimacy of those spiritual <coughs> feelings which come spontaneously to us is uh, a cure and a healing for much of the worldly sufferings and pains born out of those kind of feelings. That the power of, of the sp- spiritual awarenesses and sensu- sensibilities can cure and heal the most painful past and the most painful present, whether it's recent present or far long, long since ago. This is the wonder of deeper spiritual intimations. Wonderfully healing for the old. So in, in the work here, much healing takes place. Sometimes... One does not even know that it's taking place. One doesn't feel an effect inside of oneself in the moment that pain, hurt problems of the past have been cured, have finished, are finished with. And so sometimes people regularly say and be put, Christopher, I did this retreat, I was engaging in this meditation, I was in this period of silence, oh, whatever the manifestation of it, and things which were really troubling me and bothering me before I came, that I didn't remember anything actually happening while I was here. I didn't have any sudden insight or breakthrough or realisation or whatever, but things which troubled me for years and, and were pressure on me and anxiety and from childhood abuse to pains and conflicts in the present that it's over, what happened in the miracle of things? What happened that sometimes in the silence and the stillness of things without any interest to resolve or to work things out or to bring things to a conclusion, without any interest to understand it or anything, something goes on in the miracle of silence and the past is healed and cured and one knows that one can look back to the past and there's not a trace of hurt anywhere. And that goes on in these halls here and has gone on in these halls for thousands of years. So when we're exploring, when we're looking into the the, the spiritual end, the spiritual dimension of things, there's the joys and the wonders and the, like someone was saying in the inquiry last night, the We're discussing the inexplicable which is taking place through silence, which our brain, our mind cannot get around. And there's the unpleasant too. And it'd be foolish and naive of us to think that in spiritual life we are not as much challenged by by what we do, what we engage in, as we are challenged by our worldly interests and directions and pursuits. And, and you know, some of you who have done many, many years of retreats and some of you who are uh, just in your second or third day here and you've never sat still before in your life without something in your hand to occupy yourself with. And here, just the sitting still with nothing to occupy oneself with, sometimes it's incredibly difficult. And the difficulty comes out sometimes, as you know better than i the pains in the body and the aches and the tensions and all that manifests it comes out in in the in the various thoughts and confusions which are arising it It comes out in in what some of the saints and the mystics have called the the divine discontent in which in which one is in that unenviable position, that the old, that the, the, the headlong pursuit of this and that, one's the appetite for it's gone. Money, career, prosperity, privilege, and one has sees the, the, the emptiness, the waste of it, the waste of a human existence, and one senses something greater, something profound and, and of the mystical order, which puts all of that into its useful place and nothing more, yet one doesn't feel it. One senses the old is not working, it's not working socially or environmentally, and yet one hasn't found a transition to something other. And then sometimes when it's like that, we really know what divine discontent is, we really know what spiritual. Uncertainty, uncertainty is and, and what difficulty is because we're, we're in a kind of limbo. And it takes sometimes just a kind of blind faith, a, a naive, peculiar, odd form of trust in going through these periods. And if one looks at the spiritual literature of past and present which has any authenticity to it and validity to it there will be clear reminders that this process of spiritual awarenesses and deeply into things of life will mean that we have to address sometimes the, the frustration, the difficulty, the disappointment of spiritual life. Just as when you sit there and the best intention in the world to be a clear and concerned human being, the mind says, screw you, and it goes either, dither, and everywhere. And one says, my God, I've got so little control over my own life, you know, what can I do, and all that goes along with it. That is all the intimations of spiritual frustration. Sometimes, finally, sometimes in our looking into things we hear, as part of the rhetoric of all of this letting go, it's a a catchphrase it becomes the the cure-all for every issue, every problem every concern, everything of past, everything of present and future we hear the message, you hear it from me and you hear it from others drop it, let it go, let it go but sometimes my concern is that with the idea of letting go, it's like letting go. The idea of it sometimes it comes up, if one lets go of it, it is going to completely disappear. One, let, you know, one standing on the edge of a cliff, and one got a rock, and one lets it go, and it'll drop into the ocean, and then one will never know, see, be uh, in touch with it again. But I think perhaps letting go in another way of exploring and looking into that is around what's happening there is some sense of spaciousness. Some sense of something bigger in the face of. So even with breathing, with, with body, we can get so attached to being concentrated on the breath, there's no space around it we can get so attached and involved in being focused on the body that we restrict the consciousness to the form, to the framework, and we think that's what it's all about. And similarly with our feelings, our pleasant feelings, our unpleasant, worldly or spiritual, we can become so identified with them either they're continuity or they're getting rid of, that there's no space around them. Similarly with past, similarly with present, similarly with future. And when there's no space around them, then they, often what emerges is the view, I've got to work this out. I've got to work this through. I've got to let this go. I've got to understand it. I've got to do something about it. Then we have all the professionals who will come in and help us. So can we, in the observation, in the state of total attention to what is occurring, can we begin to sense, allow ourselves to feel a certain space around the issue? Whether it's worldly or whether it's spiritual, whether it's past or future or present, can we begin to feel a certain sense of space when the thought arises, the image, the memory, the, 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 the feelings, whether they're deep feelings or whether they seem peripheral and superficial can we still bring a certain sense of space to the method, to the technique to ourself to what we call, what we, what we refer to as ourself can we, can we allow a certain sense of space around with regard to that So that, as I said earlier, we are not the prima donnas of Earth, we are not the centre of the universe, life does not revolve around us, and have a certain sense of space in a way which tells us the truth. And perhaps that spaciousness around the feelings around the mental life, around the bodily life, around the language, the communication, around what we call ourselves, perhaps, perhaps, that sense of spaciousness is the intimation, the whisper of liberation. Which is accommodating and, and addressing issues and in a way which is senses the vast simultaneously. May all beings see into themselves. May all beings see into life. May all beings be receptive to that which is vast. Let's have a couple of uh, quiet minutes, shall we please?